You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Hey, thank you, Andy. Thank you. All right. All right. Blessings and grace to you all. Yeah. Happy Palm Sunday. I was uh, sitting on the edge of my bed this morning um, before I left to come here and uh, was having a conversation with Jocelyn, and, and it's a little bit surreal that here we are on a Sunday where we're usually celebrating um, Palm Sunday, the uh, entrance of the king into Israel, the, uh, the adoration, the praise that was given to him, but it's a little surreal given the situation that we're in, and so this week, and taking a look at that, I decided I was going to go back and just do a little more research. I've spoken on this subject so many times, but I decided to do a little more historical background, cultural background, just to see what was going on there. And honestly, my eyes were open to some stuff. And so that's the perspective I'm coming from this morning. I want to bring it from that historical, cultural perspective, and I think it'll be helpful for us. Um, I titled the message this morning, when Jesus doesn't show up like you expect. Now, that may sound a little strange because, I mean, this is so great. Jesus shows up. He's the center of attention. He comes. Everybody's giving him praise and honor and glory, and they're, they're seeing him for who he is. And uh, it sounds like that. But as I started to discover in reading through this historically, it looks a little bit different. And I think even in the context of this story, when you read it in Matthew, Mark, where you read it in John, the people fully didn't fully understand what was happening. So maybe we ought to take a look at that. I'm going to read out of John chapter 12, this story. It's verse 12 through 19. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. So as I'm reading this, just listen to it, and then we're going to get into a little bit of historical background and see what does that mean for us. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, it says this. The next day... A great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when, they, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, when I read this, I'm familiar with the story, but a couple of things stood out to me. That, number one, the disciples themselves didn't fully know what was going on. They didn't understand it. It took after the glorification of Jesus for them to come into the revelation. We see that in, in Luke, after the resurrection, the road to Emmaus, where he opens their eyes. And it wasn't until Holy Spirit entered into that realm where he was released on them that they could fully understand what was happening. So I want us to take a moment and just try to imagine, if you would, what was happening at this moment 
we have Holy Spirit. We have the benefit of hindsight, but to look at it from the perspective of why, what might have been going on at that time. Now, here's a little context for what's happening. About a week prior to this entrance, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And word is beginning to get around that of all the miracles that he's done, I mean, this, you got to admit, this is a pretty big miracle. He raised Lazarus from the dead. The dude had been dead for four days, and Jesus shows up and says, come out. He comes out, and everybody's just overwhelmed with what's happening. So about a week prior to this entrance, this is what's happened. And word's starting to get out. The Pharisees are really upset with what's happening because they don't like it. Clearly, from the passage there, we see that. The people are beginning to follow Jesus, and if you know anything about the Pharisees and religious leaders, they didn't want anybody to follow, any, follow anyone except for themselves. So all this is happening, but there's something even deeper happening. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem with the palm branches was not something that just happened spontaneously. I used to think that, kind of growing up, that when Jesus entered, it was just a spontaneous reaction that somehow people understood that he was the king. Maybe through all the things that had happened, he's coming into Jerusalem, they take the palm branches, they take their clothes, and they start throwing them out on the road in front of him for him to walk on. I thought this was a spontaneous thing. But as I started looking at it, it harkens back to something greater. What happened about 150 years prior to this was a little story of, maybe you've heard this guy's name, Judas Maccabee. At that point, all of Israel was under Syrian control. And there was a rebellion and a revolt that was happening within the people of Israel. And a number of people had risen up, but it was finally Judas Maccabee who comes in and he liberates Israel from the Syrians. And when that happens, he comes into Israel much like Jesus was coming in, except he comes in on a horse. He comes in and the people begin to lay the palm branches and their clothes down as he comes in. Palm branches, see, were a sign of victory. It was a common thing that even, even after that event happened, I understand that some of the coins that were minted even put palm trees on them, palm branches on them, because it's a sign of victory. So if you can, with, with me just for a moment, imagine this going on, that 150 years prior to Jesus coming in, you've got Judas coming in. They called him the hammer. He comes in. He comes in on a mighty horse. They're laying down the palm branches. They're laying down their clothes. And he comes in victorious, and he cleanses the temple. He comes in and cleanses the temple because the Syrians had gone in and had sacrificed pigs in there, had made the priest eat the pigs, which was a big no-no, not something you do. They had defiled the temple completely. So he rides into town, this happening, victorious, and he comes in and he cleanses the temple. The crowds now with Jesus are celebrating according to what they've experienced and what they know to be true from the past. They see Jesus coming in and they're making the declaration, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're the Christ, you're the king, you're the savior. It's what Hosanna means. It simply means save now. And if you can imagine thousands and thousands upon thousands of people experiencing this as Jesus is coming in and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. I want to submit to you this morning that perhaps their perspective was not what our perspective is now in hindsight. We know what this is all about. 
It's a picture of the beginning of Passover. It's when all the Passover lambs were being brought into the city to be scrutinized. You guys know how that works. They came in. They would bring the lambs in. They would be scrutinized for three to five days. They would look at them to make sure there was no spot or blemish. This is all happening at the same time. I even read that one historian said that there was over a quarter of a million lambs being brought into the city at that point. If you can imagine this. This is all part of the sacrifice. Families, groups of people are coming in. They're bringing the lambs with them. And while those lambs are being brought into the city, here's the lamb of God coming in. But there's a difference. They think he's coming in to save them from the Roman rule. And rightly so, because they were under the thumb of the Romans at that point. But their perspective wasn't entirely correct. I think that, honestly, they got a little disappointed. Because what they're thinking about is Judas Maccabee coming in, riding victorious on a horse, and then going in and cleansing the temple. Jesus rides in, but he rides in on a donkey. The colt of a donkey, actually. It symbolizes peace. It symbolizes humility. I can only imagine the disappointment when he rides into the city, and he doesn't immediately go in and cleanse the temple. He waits a day. Can you imagine that? Oh, here's Jesus. Here he is. Hosanna. Come save. Come save. Save now. And he rides in. And then just this anticlimactic, he doesn't do what Judas had done, which was go in and cleanse the temple. He waits. The next day, the story goes on, and that's when he goes in and cleanses the temple. So there's a couple of things here that I look at, and I'm like, I know this is fulfillment. I know this is fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. The, whole, the word says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I don't know that their perspective was exactly this, though. Here's a couple of things. I believe Jesus was bringing a revolution, but the revolution that's brewing inside of him was not something that may have been brewing inside of their minds. He didn't come in and achieve victory through military might. Jesus comes in and achieves victory through surrender. It's part of the kingdom. It's that upside-down kingdom. The things that we think work normally in this life don't work in the kingdom. He didn't come in on a mighty horse. He comes in on a lowly donkey. They were expecting a mighty warrior on a gallant horse. They received a humble savior on a donkey. They were expecting the sword of judgment. But what they received was the cross of mercy. They were expecting to be liberated from the nations, but instead received a liberation for the nations. He was a king, all right. The king of Salem, the king of peace. Colossians 1.20 gives us a little bit better example. This is clearly Paul writing this after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. He writes to the church and he says, that Jesus himself made peace through the blood of his cross. So make no mistake about it. When Jesus enters in, he's riding in as a victorious king. But his methods are completely different. That's what I want to point out this morning. That sometimes we get expectations on how God is going to move. And when he doesn't move the way we think he's going to move, there's disappointment. It's important that we hold on to testimony. We talk about that a lot around here. Testimony is critically, critically important. You see it throughout the Old Covenant. 
when God tells them to remember the testimony. Why? Because it's the story of God showing up. It's the story of God coming in and bringing breakthrough whenever it's needed. But I think sometimes we hold on to the process in the testimony instead of the outcome of the testimony. That's the point of testimony, is not to show us a process. It's not there for us to try to repeat it so that God will do the same thing. It's there to show us what God does. I think in our humanity, I don't know if you're anything like me, it's like if I discover, if I'm out working in my garage on something, or if I'm, if I'm building something and I find a way to do something and I find a way that it works, my tendency is to look at it always the same way and it always has to happen this way. Now that analogy may break down, but you hear what I'm saying. There are things that we find in our lives that we say, oh, it worked when we did it this way, so I'm going to do it that way every single time. And again, I know it breaks down, but how often do we do that when we watch God show up? There building their proclamation based on something that they had heard of 150 years ago. So their expectation was a little bit different. I'm wondering, I don't know, if I was in the crowd, I probably would be doing the same thing. Keep in mind, this is the same crowd who on one day is crying, Hosanna, 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 save now. One week later, the same group is crying, crucify him. The same group, crucify him. Crucify him. So as I'm reading this, I find myself with a little bit of a conflict and a little bit of conviction. And I'm asking myself, Lord, where am I holding on to things where I've seen you move and I'm expecting you to do it in the same way? Right now in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis that we're in, we pray for healing and we will never stop doing that. We always will pray for healing. We will always make strong declarations that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know you're all part of this. We do this all the time. My question is, when things happen as they are, and they're starting to get a little closer to home, they're starting to, people are starting to be affected by this that either we know directly or we know secondary. So it's just slowly getting a little bit closer to home. My question in all of this is, am I holding up expectation that God will do something a specific way, or am I holding just a place of expectancy and saying, God, I know you move. I know you move. I know you heal. I know you restore, and I know you redeem. I have a personal conflict going inside of this. Would I be doing the same thing? Would I be the one standing there one moment crying, Hosanna, 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 and then the next week crying, crucify him? Now, we don't do that. I know that. Because we, we have history. We have something behind us. We understand what it all means. But I think we do it in different ways. And I'm not faulting them necessarily for it. I believe that ultimately is the cry of humanity. One moment we can be crying out and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, because we see him for who he is. And we'll cry out and we'll make the declaration, Jesus, you're the Savior, you're the King. But in the next moment, we can turn around and do something completely opposite. It's our humanity. It's what happens when we operate without Holy Spirit working inside of us. It's what happens when we shift our awareness from the one who saves, the one who restores, to what's happening in the world around us. Now, I'm not talking about walking around in this world and being um, in denial. I'm not talking about just closing your eyes and not looking or burying your head in the sand. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about being aware of what happens around us, but never being more aware of what's happening in this world than, what, than who Jesus is. Hosanna, Hosanna, it means save now. It's a desperate cry for help. 
I find ourselves in that position now. Jesus, save. Save now. Save now. I find my thoughts where pretty much wherever I'm going, it's not 100% of the time, but pretty much wherever I'm going, I'm finding myself praying and just recalling, Jesus, this is what you've done. You've healed. You've done miraculous things. I saw a testimony this morning that Jocelyn sent to me uh, from our Bethel Leaders Network of a missionary who, I think his name was Ed, who came down with uh, coronavirus. And he was pretty sick with it and wasn't looking good at all. And then is now miraculously healed. Can I get an amen to that? This is good news. This is what we need to hold on to. But our tendency is to hold on to it and look at the story and go, how did it happen? How did this healing come? And then have the expectation that it's going to happen the same way again. What I'm submitting this morning is check ourselves. Let's just check ourselves and see if we're really holding on to the God who saves or we're holding on to the way we saw God save. What does it look like? What are you holding on to? Now, I know in our lives now, it won't come out as crucify him, crucify him. When we hit the depths of our challenge that we face, when things start getting close and near to us, we won't yell that. But what we will say is things like this. How could you let this happen? As if he caused it. How could you let this happen? You ever heard that said before? It amazes me. I said last week, just kind of in a parenthetical reference, God did not bring this disease. He doesn't have it to bring. It's not who he is. We know who brings diseases and death, Satan himself. Let's don't put that on God. That's not what he does. He comes to heal, to bring life and life more abundantly. We know what Satan does. So we'll say things like that, though. We'll say things like, how could you let that happen? How, why do good things, bad things happen to good people? We ask those kinds of questions. I think it's the only reason why we do that is because we lose sight of who he is or we have some kind of expectation that isn't truly in line with what he's doing in the moment. How many want to do what God is doing in the moment? Let me see your hand. Good, I see all of you. Good. You can raise your hand there on the, on the screen. Engage with us that way. I, I want to be a part of that too, but I don't want to have my preconceived ideas based on what I've seen before be the thing that I hold him hostage to. What I want to do is hold him at his word, but I don't want to hold him hostage to what he's done in times past. I don't want to be a person that says, why didn't you save them? Why didn't they get healed? I don't know. I don't, I don't have answers to those kinds of things. What I have is a direct command from my Savior that says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, make disciples. This is what I have. I can't find anything in scripture that gives me any kind of reasons why people don't get healed. I, I don't understand that. I want to encourage you with this. Let's check it. Let's check where we are with it. Hold on to what is good. I want to do communion today with us. And we're going to do this today, but we're also going to do this um, Friday night when we do the live feed for Good Friday service. Um, and we often do this here, but I want us to just take time to reflect when we're doing this. We've got people in the room here who have stuff. They're going to do that with us. You hopefully have something there that you can use. Whatever you've got doesn't really matter. But I want to read this passage from Paul. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When it comes to the Lord's table, I think it's a good admonition for us to make sure that when we do this, we do this 
for the right reason, that we do this understanding what we're doing here. I love that God gave this to us. I love it that Jesus gave this and said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're coming back to this simple, simple fact that the body and the blood of Jesus paid for everything. Church, I don't know. I'm thinking it may be a good thing for us just to come back to that and live with that at the forefront of our mind. In the middle of everything that's going, when we hear about things, when we hear about all these things happening that are people being infected by this, businesses closing down, we're all worried about how much, how how are we going to make money? What's this going to look like? That we come back to this simple, simple thing, find peace in it, find hope in it. Hope has to have something it's attached to. Hope has to have something it's attached to. What's it attached to? That's the question I'm asking. I say we bring it back to the person of Jesus. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 11, and he says, The same night in which Jesus was handed over, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Then he distributed it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I've got some bread here. Hopefully you have some at home. I'm going to break it. Let's just pray right now that Jesus, that our hearts and minds would come into full attention with the gift that you've given us. All other distractions, we push them aside. This is your body which was broken for us. In that breaking, you brought salvation and you brought healing. hold on to this and we take this and we eat it giving it full worth recognizing the weight of it thank you Lord let's take together did the same thing with the cup of wine after supper and he said this cup seals the new covenant with my blood drink it and whenever you drink this do it to remember 
Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Church, this is what it's about. All of us together, we're retelling the story. I don't know exactly how that works. Maybe we're retelling the story to ourselves. Maybe there's something in it that when we do this, the world around us gets to to see it gets to hear about it. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works. All I know is that as often as we do this, we retell the story. I don't want to overcomplicate the gospel. I don't want to make it about something that it's not. I want every person on this planet to receive the fullness of what Jesus has purchased. It's healing and it's salvation. It's for the total man. So let's drink this together. this week that all of us during this holy week would be mindful of who we are whose we are the power of declaration the power of faith in the one without having some kind of expectation that God shows up and does things this way I want to know his heart. I want to know his person. I want to know what he's doing. I want connection with him so much that when he does something new and he does something different that I understand what he's doing. I'm praying for all of us that we enter into that this holy week. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that the grace and the peace of God would be on every individual that hears this and sees this right now. Yeah, just hold your hands up to receive. Every bit of hope that you feel like has been missing, the grace that you may be not feeling, the mercy of God that you're longing for, I pray right now that everybody that sees and hears this would receive the fullness of who you are, grace, peace, mercy, kindness, I pray the hope that we're longing for, especially in times like this, that the hope that we're longing for does not get misplaced. Lord, we place it firmly, firmly in you. You are the hope of salvation. You are the hope of healing. It's found in a person. It's found in you. Lord, I'm praying for every home right now, for provision, for wisdom, for insight, Lord, I pray now that you drop revelation in every home that is without work, that you would drop revelation in the home and wisdom on how to make money with what they have. It's just divine, heavenly wisdom. I'm praying that drop into every house right now, that worry, fear, doubt, complaining, all of that stuff cease. I want to encourage you with this too, church. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for edification, for building up. Hold on to that. There's hope. There's hope. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.